This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsuit Politics. Welcome to Pantsuit Politics, where we take a different approach to the news. Sarah is enjoying her final few days in Europe with her family. And so I am joined today by the most special of special guests, my husband, Chad. Why, thank you, Beth. I'm so glad that you're here. We are going to discuss by popular demand, and I do mean demand, not really request at this point, the process of putting solar panels on our house and what we have learned since we've had those panels. Yes, we're going to geek out on solar panels and our first full year having them. And then before we do that, we're going to chat about television, which we also know about and love and is actually in the headlines right now because of the strikes. Yep. Again, here in my personal capacity to talk about TV. That's right. And outside of politics, we're going to talk about the difference between entertaining and opening our home to guests. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think there is a distinction that we can dive into. I imagine this will also involve you making fun of me for being somewhat bossy, but I think it's one of my finer characteristics. Yeah, we can talk about outdoor spaces. I think that'll be fun. Before we jump into all of that, we wanted to remind you that sharing the show with a friend is always one of the best ways that you can support our work here. Word of mouth is still how podcasts grow their community of listeners, and ours is no exception. So if you like what you hear, please pass us along to others in your life. We appreciate it so much. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Chad, we have two strikes happening in Hollywood now. The writers have been on strike since May. May 1st, yeah. And now the actors have joined them. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit before we get into the specifics of the strikes about the state of TV in general with streaming and cable and network television? So TV, television, movies, all that filmed entertainment is is going through kind of a a big change in the growing pains associated with that. If you listen to sports broadcasting rights conversation we had on the premium channel on Thursday, we talked about how each of the big media companies have their own streaming services now. So actors and writers are a bit concerned with how that 
service is being handled and how their content is being put on there. And they want to make sure they're getting paid. So as I've read about this, the last time both actors and writers were on strike in Hollywood was 1960 in the midst of another technological shift. Technology seems to always drive these these labor disputes in Hollywood. Yeah. And that big technology change at that time was television, right? The the actors and the writers wanted to get paid when their movies were put on television. So now we've got a strike that's really centered around will actors, writers, everybody else get paid when their content is on a streamer and it lives on that streamer and is is played over and over. And as I understand it, the other issue in terms of just basic compensation for people working in this industry, and try to think as we talk about this, not about the big name stars, but about all of the background actors, all of the people whose names you never know, who bring a story to life, and and all the folks who work behind the scenes to bring a story to life, their jobs have changed so fundamentally as television projects have gone from, we make 30, 40, 50 episodes of a show a year to maybe we make six or eight episodes for a season on a streaming service. Yeah, the way that writers work in their you know, a writer's room or on a staff, you know, it used to be if you got a job with a series, a law and order or something that, that was on 23 weeks a year. I mean, that was a job. That was your job. You had good, consistent pay from that. You know, now a, a new series comes out, it may be eight, 10 episodes and there's other things that they're doing, kind of condensing those writer's rooms not giving credit to all the writers that are in it. These writers are having to to find a lot of gap work to, to make a full year's salary. So it's difficult. Some of you might remember that Sarah and I briefly explored a television project and we got to work with some amazing people as we talked about that. I don't want to speak for her, but what I really learned in that project was that if you are on television, you had to really, really want to be on television. Like there are just so many obstacles to getting a show going and to making that show in a way that you're proud of under all of the economic constraints put around the show. It reminded me a little bit of book publishing where there were times when we were in that process just kind of shaking our heads like, what is the goal here at the end of the day? Because the economics are all very speculative And I think TV takes some of those dynamics and just amplifies them. So, Chad, I understand that this strike is about five major issues. So we talked a little bit about residuals, what happens in streaming when your television show is there. Base pay is another one, especially with inflation. A big issue that's getting more press all the time is artificial intelligence. Yeah, writers are are very concerned about the definition of who a writer is. Basically, they're worried about AI taking over and and studios using that to write a script. Right, that their work is going to be just a training ground for a computer. They come up with a concept and then the, the machine takes it from there. Yeah, that's, that's a very big concern for the writers. They want it, you know, put in their contract. The definition of a writer is a human being. And then actors are concerned about their likenesses being used to train machines And then those machines going off and just kind of doing what they will with their likenesses and the actors not getting paid. It sounds like the actors have more openness to that model than the writers do, but the actors want to be sure that they are getting paid, not that they show up for work one day, which is part of a proposal from the studio side, that they show up and they get paid for one day of work. And then the studio owns the rights to do what they will with their face and their voice and their mannerisms. Yeah, that's interesting because of so much motion capture and CGI de-aging or, or changing or adapting uh, an actor's face for, for a role, which happens a lot. Well, I was also thinking about video games and wondered what kind of model exists there because lots of sports professionals' likenesses get used in those video games. I, I wonder if there's some kind of model that would translate over to look at yeah, could be. I mean, that's kind of like what we talked about, about sports broadcasting rights. There are, you know, the leagues and the players associations help get players paid for those games. But it's not a neat translation either, because what an actor is doing is so different than you just being you. 
and yeah. being translated into a video game. Yeah, context. it's more than the likeness. I mean, a- actors are, you know, plying their trade. They are performing as as young Ellen Silvers did this week as young, <laughs> young Elsa in her Frozen production. She would say there's a craft to it. And, and she, she would be I right. She did say that. Yeah. And the other thing to mention about AI is that if that sounds a little premature to you, you have to remember that they are negotiating a three-year contract. And as rapidly as that field is developing, I understand why this is a major point of contention. I think the the strikes are a little convenient, too. I mean, the writers went on strike first. So most productions have, have been shut down because you need a writer working. So I think it was easy for the Actors Guild to go on on strike, too. I don't know if an, a strike is ever easy. I think it has to be a very scary time. I mean, it seems like for a couple of years now, there has been a squeeze in this industry where it's kind of become more and more like gig work than ever before and scarier. Like there's no safety net for people in this industry. And it also seems to be getting more personal all the time. The the executive pay issue and the comments from executives in the press versus people speaking on behalf of the unions. Like, it's very testy right now. Yeah. Fran Drescher going at it. Well, and Bob Iger seems to not be very helpful. I mean, the the personalities dominating the studio side are unsympathetic for a lot of reasons. And I don't know. It, I, I struggle to see how you move negotiations forward when it feels like everyone believes everyone else is acting in bad faith. Yeah, I mean, most of your your studio heads and executives in the industry, it's it's pretty easy to villainize them. But I mean, they're they're trying to run a business too, right? They're trying to run a business. They are running very successful businesses, even with the pressure that the studios are feeling from how rapidly things are changing. We still have a lot of like big hits making lots of money. I understand that not as many people are seeing movies as they used to, but it's still a lot of people and a lot of money. But isn't it the big hits making a lot of money and then not a lot of medium hits and smaller hits making money? Yeah. And I think that that hurts everybody. Like, I don't think consumers want this either. So there's a lot to be figured out. And a strike seems like an interesting context in which you sort of put everything on the table and say, how do we figure this out? Yeah, I don't know. That's a bigger sea change. I mean, I think back to most of the movies in the 80s and 90s that I loved. I don't know if those would be made today because everything today is existing IP, superheroes, some animated movies, like even the good comedies aren't made anymore as much. So one more issue to cover about what's driving this strike, and I think this one is one of the most interesting because it has a lot of parallels to other forms of work, and that is self-taping, that when you are applying to work on a film the cost of the application process have really shifted away from the studios and to the actors, where they used to go in and read for scenes with people who are there at the company's employee. Now they are doing it at home. They're having to get good equipment at home to do it. They're having to pull in friends and family to read with them for those auditions. And I feel like that's something that a lot of people can relate to, even if you aren't working in Hollywood you see places where it feels like, man, doing my job now has a lot more cost on my side than it used to. Do you think that's a a relic of COVID? I think it's probably something from COVID that really worked for the studios and why not keep it going? It worked. It was less cost. So now let's let's make it standard. Okay. That seems like what's happened with a bunch of these issues to me, that the studio has seen an opportunity to lower costs and have said, well, let's do that everywhere we possibly can. And I understand that from a business perspective. But I also feel like the the thing that is a microcosm that this strike represents is like people are getting tired of that and saying we have to meet somewhere in the middle. So this isn't just about actors and writers. It's about an enormous chunk of California's enormous economy. One of the biggest things that America exports in the world is entertainment. And underlying all of it is the wealth inequality dynamics where people are just tired of like a very few people making ungodly amounts of money and it not being spread, not evenly, but even close to fairly across the folks working under them. So you feel that more with the studio executives and the studios themselves making money. What about the actors, the 
the top tier actors that are making, you know, the major lion's share of, of the money that that's put into film. I don't know how I feel about that. I understand that there are big names that do drive people's interest in projects. And I get that you have to compete for that talent. I also know that even some of those big names make nowhere close to what studio executives are making. And I know that some of those big names have started to really advocate for their fellow performers in negotiating what people are going to get paid on those projects. So I have some respect for how how those folks are conducting themselves in this process, probably more than I do for the CEOs. Again, easy, easy targets. Yeah, I, I think we've got to, they, they're going to have to do something for the workaday, you know, journeyman actor and actress, because nobody's going to go see a, a one, one man Chris Pratt show, maybe. No, I'm not going to go see a one man Chris Pratt show. Okay. And look, you know me, I am a capitalist. Like, I am not somebody who's ever been on a picket line. I'm not a French Revolution type. But, like, I do see the issues here. And I, I think I'd be pretty mad, too, if I were in this industry. And all of it makes me really happy to have an independent podcast where we are not in that pressure cooker of shareholders and this is about to be sold again or someone's about to acquire a majority stake because it just feels like there's not a lot of room once you start adding zeros and executives to the mix. Well, next up, we're going to talk about a different kind of power, and that is solar power. <laughs> I am very excited to share why we decided to put solar panels on our house and what that's been like for us. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit.
Okay, Chad, you started talking about solar panels a few years before we actually decided to put them on our house. What made you want to explore the idea of solar power here? Yes, like many things, I did a little research first and and went back and forth about the idea of doing it. It finally got to the point where the technology had, had improved. The cost, at least for what we wanted to do, had gone down. So it, it just it made sense. Okay, but let's talk about why you were interested in the first place. Was this your, I like to be an early adopter of technology gene? Was this your, I don't like waste gene and the sun is right there? Like what propelled you to do this? A a little bit of all of that. I mean, I I did like the idea when I got, when I set it up to have those done. And I think we first turned them on. I sent you a message and said that, baby, I've harnessed the power of the sun for you. (laughs) Well, I was interested because of the climate side of things. You know, I'm always trying to think about how we can do better here. And it did seem to me that this was a a fairly straightforward way for us to do better in terms of our own footprint as a family. Did that play into your calculus at all? I mean, a little bit. I'm not as extreme there, I think, as as you are. And you're not extreme, but... Motivated by that. My motivations were more, hey power costs a lot Mm -hmm. and the sun's just there and it's it's there to use so if we could get a solution that made sense and and paid itself back in a reasonable amount of time hey let's go for it the other piece that i thought about was grid resiliency i worry about this a lot actually i worry about how our power grids are not equipped for all of the uses of electricity that are being pulled from them right now. I worry about what would happen to me personally if I got too hot or too cold. Um, And so it just felt, especially after what happened in Texas, you know, this unexpected ice storm, it just felt to me like anything we can do here to try to keep things running is a good idea. Yep. Self-sufficiency did play into it as well. We made the decision to get battery backups in the house, too, to use when there are power outages. We'll talk about that a little bit more in the details of what we did. But, you know, it was a, it was a separate decision, but kind of part of it played in. So Chad talked about doing research. We both really like research. I would love for you, Chad, to just talk about the basics of how solar panels work. Okay, let me get my chemistry hat on here. I mean, the simple answer would be, would just be to say that, you know, the sun shines, witchcraft happens, and we we have electricity. Do you, do you want to? I don't want the simple answer. Okay, you want to go a little bit deeper than that. Okay, so solar panels are photovoltaic cells. They're typically silicon. On the outside of that, or two sides of that silicon, it's kind of a sandwich with some metals that, uh, much like a magnetic field, create an electric field with a positive and negative plate. So the photovoltaic effect, sunlight comes in and hits the atoms that are in there and knocks electrons off. So those electrons are able to pass from one side to the other, create a flow of electricity, and wires connected to it take that power out or that electricity out. And you start with with direct current power. You have to have an inverter in place to turn that to AC power or alternating current, which is what appliances and stuff in your home uses. So what considerations did you have in mind, given the level at which you understand this, in purchasing our panels? Are there different types of panels that you looked at? Yeah, so I I researched several different panels. I mean, it really comes down to what your, your installer is using. So I talked to four or five different installers before settling on someone. I mean, those were all over the board when it came to price and what they carried and their level of knowledge about what they were doing, which was a little concerning. I ended up going with Hanwha Q-Cells. So these are some of the most efficient solar panels on the market. They are now manufactured since 2019. They built a plant in Dalton, Georgia. It's the biggest solar panel plant in the Western Hemisphere. Hanwell is a Korean company. They've also got a headquarters in Germany. So, you know, Korean determination, German engineering, but made in the USA now. So I thought it was a good 
a good mix. And these panels are greater than 20% efficient, which is, you know, the, some of the highest on the market right now. You talked about talking with different installers. I know that this can be sort of a scammy business, that there are people out there who don't know a lot about what they're doing. What kinds of questions did you ask? What did you want people to know before you felt comfortable moving forward with them, putting price aside for a second? Yeah, putting price aside, I wanted someone who was able, I mean, like doing anything else, right? You want them to listen to what your goal is and, you know, be able to answer the questions you have directly. And the final company I went with, I think, did that pretty well. How did you articulate our goal to them? Well, I I wanted to, you know, get as much out of it as possible. From production. A, from production from a dollar standpoint. Um, and there's a whole bunch of factors involved with that. So typically a solar company will give you a model that says this is, you know, this is the size of the system, how many panels, how many watts each panel is and what they expect you to produce over, you know, a 20 year period or something like that. So our home, the back of it faces directly south. It was perfect. We really lucked out. Yeah, it's it's directly south. So that's going to matter a lot. If you have a home that, you know, the place you want to put them faces north, you're just not going to get as much sun here in the northern hemisphere. So ours worked out very well there. It's it's pretty much one plane back there. So it was easy as far as the installation. I told them I wanted to do the, or I believed I wanted to do the battery backup. So we priced that out as well. But they did, again, they did, did a good job. They they can use GPS data to really look at how much sun you're going to get and do pretty good with the projections. Now, I was able to look at the models and really dig in and see how much they expect the price of electricity to go up over a certain amount of time. That's the other part of it. You're going to produce X, and this is how much you're going to save based on the energy cost in your area, which we have pretty cheap electricity here. We're on a, a, a co-op. So electricity is not super expensive here in northern Kentucky, like it may be in, you know, California or other parts of the country. But it's still it's still worked out to where our production level, expected production level, and I had them tweak the cost increase because our costs hasn't haven't been rising as much. And I wanted to be very conservative with the financial projections. Yeah, the, the projections on it. Even with that, our panels themselves came out to about an eight and a half year payback. And I thought that was pretty good. Now, part of that was the tax credit that was in place. When we installed our panels in 2022, June of 2022, it was a 26% tax credit back for the cost. How did you think about the amount of electricity that we use in this formula? If we used less or more would that eight and a half years be different? No, because the panels are still producing about the same amount. So a good solar company too, they're going to take your last year of electricity bills, look at the data from that and use that to project, you know, how much offset you're going to create with these panels. So ours is not a hundred percent offset basically because the roof wasn't big enough to put that much on there. We use a lot of electricity. Our heat and air conditioning, all electric. All of our appliances. All, yeah, all of our appliances. We don't have natural gas. We have Beth's 500 gallons of really hot water out back. That's very important to me, the hot tub is. Yep. And then, you know, the pool. We have a pool, yeah. And it's got an electric heat pump that's heating it. We, we don't are use it quite as much, but. Far down the electrify everything path here. And we have an electric car. And we have an electric car, Yeah. yeah. So a lot of electricity being used. We also don't have any tree cover on our house. Our roof is not complex in any way. You know, all of those things factor in the slope of the roof, the positioning of the house. So a lot to think about as you're considering how much electricity do we think we could get from these panels. Yeah. And like I said, they they use GPS and a little meter that, you know, they put up and know exactly where it's at. And they can really dial in how much power you can expect to make in a year's time. Now, we replaced our roof before we put the panels on. Can you talk about that decision? So our roof, or just a regular shingle roof, was about 15 years old. 
So when I decided to do the panels, I thought, you know, it would not be great to put those panels on and have to replace a roof in a few years. So we went ahead and did a new roof right before the panels went on. And, you know, the warranty of the shingles should be, you know, 25 plus years as well, or the lifespan. And the panels are, you know, 25 year warranty on them. And we bought the panels, but there are leasing options out there, right? So how did you think about that decision point? So you can purchase, of course, outright. With me, there was a discount for for paying for everything right up front. The lease options you'll see out there make a lot of sense. And a lot of people do them because let's say your electricity bill averages $200 a month. If you can finance those panels for 15 years, maybe, and pay that same $200 a month that you would be paying an electricity bill, but you're using it to pay the the cost of the panels. I mean, that's, that's going to work out too. But of course, there are finance charges in there too. So you're probably going to pay more going that way, but it's, it's also easier to stomach. It's not a big uh, capital expenditure right up front. The installers that we worked with, I know, are pretty close to us geographically. Can you talk a little bit about that decision? Like, how did you decide? Would you have used someone out of state, for example? I mean, we're so close to two other states that I did talk to people in Ohio and Indiana. It just, it turned out the the person, the company that was the best ended up being in Kentucky. And I'm not, I'm not mentioning their name here, but you know, if anyone's got questions, I'm happy to refer you if you're reasonably close to, you know, central Kentucky, Louisville area. Did you think about how these would affect the value of our house? We don't have any intention to move. We probably can continue to make it harder to move from here because we've, we've done so much that's unique to our house. Chad proposed here on the land where our house sits. Uh, so it's pretty special to us. But did you think about our home value? I didn't a lot in there. And I had people ask about that. I, I think that's a complicated question. It's got a lot of variables to it. If, if you're buying the panels outright, I think, of course, that's going to add to the value of a home. You know, you're covering an electricity cost you're producing it yourself. If you're tied into some type of lease where those are there and they transfer with the home, I don't know, maybe that's a liability. Yeah. I read on the Department of Energy website that that you can figure an average of a premium of about $15,000 if you own the panels and you're trying to sell your home. But I have to believe that varies tremendously across the United States, you know, by market. Yeah. Different types of home, different types of set up different offsets. And like I said, the when we signed to do ours, we had a 26% tax credit. That actually, because of new legislation, turned into 30%. So that was a really nice, you know, in the first year, recouping 30% of the cost of the panels. And that's factored into when I was saying that it's an eight and a half year payback. So you did the research, you figured out what kind of panels you wanted, you found an installer, you ran the numbers, And then we had to deal with the power company. So what do you have to do when you get the panels to deal with the power company? So that kind of ties back into some of the things you might have heard in different parts of the country about, you know, solar panel scam companies. There's a pretty big company that's based in Tennessee and Knoxville that is is getting sued in Kentucky. And I think Tennessee and Georgia attorneys generals are looking at it as well. They would go install, charge the customer for everything or start the, you know, loan payment, but they weren't contracting and pulling the permits with the counties where they were installing them. So customers have these installed and they can't turn them on because you have to work with your county building permit folks and the power company to actually get them installed. Like just putting the panels on the house is not the installation, not the complete installation. Probably a bigger job is wiring them up and doing so up to code. So you have to tie it into the the meter. For us, we ended up doing what's called net metering. With net metering, you are still pulling power from the grid and then you're sending the excess power that you make back to the grid. So, you know, in a typical day, let's say we make 100 kilowatt hours of electricity. 
and the house uses 60 during the day. We've used that from the solar and we've sent back another 35 or 40 to the grid. Those just live as credits, a one-for-one -one credit for us with our power company until we need it, until we pull it from the grid. So with that net metering, we are sending, selling power back to the grid. And here, every unit of power that we sell back to the grid is this is kind of bought from us at the same price that the power we're buying from the electric company is. Some parts of the country, when you're selling power back, you sell it at a wholesale rate back to the power company, but you're still buying the power that you're actually pulling from the grid, you know, at night or times that your panels aren't producing enough at the full retail rate. So those parts of the country, it's not nearly as lucrative to, to do it. Right. Cause you're, you're, I feel like you're kind of getting cheated, right? You're right. selling the same thing back to them at a lower rate than you're buying from them. Okay. So your favorite part, let's talk about what we're producing and how you're able to see that and how it is offsetting against the electricity that we're using. Okay. So our system, we ended up going with it's a 16.8 kilowatt system. If you're talking terms of DC, turns out to about 14.4 kilowatts AC power. So it's 42 panels that we put on our home. We have two inverters that are turning that over into alternating current power. And it's cool when the sun's out, they're in the garage and they're, they're whirring like mad. It's great. You know, you're making money when that's happening. And then we put two Tesla power walls in as well for backup. So with the Tesla power walls, you, you get a Tesla gateway. And with that, it ties into the Tesla app and gives you all kinds of fun data. What is a Tesla gateway? What does that mean? That's the device that talks to the power walls. It's tied into the grid to know if the power goes down. It's also connected to like weather services. So like our system knows if there is a storm warning, for example, and if the power walls, the batteries aren't charged up, it will start charging to make sure that you've got power if there's an outage. So if the power did go out for some reason, that gateway clicks over and you go into using the battery backup when the power's out. The detail that the system provides moves us into the solar panels might not have been good for our marriage portion of the conversation because Chad watches this like a hawk and has now developed very strong feelings about when I use the washer and dryer. And I don't like that so much. I wanted solar panels to be a path to greater freedom, not greater constraint. Well, like a new toy, when we first got them last June, just having access to that data and being able to watch the energy usage and see like when there would be a big spike and I'd be like, what in the world? Beth's using the dryer or a hairdryer or the electric range. The stove uses so much power. Oven, not nearly as much. Kind of weird. Hot weird. tub, crazy amount of power for short times. But we also get to see the crazy amount of power that it produces, and it's a lot. And it's surprising how much we produce even on cloudier days. That's one thing with the uh, the panels that I went with. They are a monocrystalline perk panel, and and perk is a going to get real deep here. It's a passive emitter and rear cell panel, just more efficient, does better in low light, higher temperatures. So you said you threw out a number for kilowatt hours earlier. How much do you think in the summer we are producing on an average day? A good day in the summer is 130 kilowatt hours. And we're power. using, what do you think? Depends on how hot it is. I mean. Because of the AC? Yeah, like April and May, we were, we produced more power than we used. So we had net credits. Now we still had a little bit of a bill because you pay a connection fee with your utility company. Ours is 20 bucks and change or something. So you still get a bill, but I mean, like our electricity bill was 30 bucks when it's, it's average is 200 plus. What about the winter? Well, you're still producing, right? The sun shines in the wintertime. Even on overcast days, you're producing really enough power to do everything except run the, the furnace 
and heat pumps are pretty efficient. We put a new heat pump in a few years ago that's that's rather efficient. So what was our average delta, would you say, between what we produced and what we used in the winter? I just want to give people a sense, yeah. you know, throughout the year. I mean, we had electricity bills that were $500 plus in the winter before. I think it's better to talk about a full year because you've got the highs of the summer, you've got the lower production in the winter, and it all averages out, right? We did this not for quick gains. Right. We did it for the long term. So you look at the long term balanced average on it. So for us, we produced a little over 24 megawatt hours in the first year. So that's 24 million <laughs> kilowatt hours. Yeah. Okay. That came out to about $2,500 in the first year. That's how that much we, we saved. That's how much we produced. We produced that much worth of electricity. Okay. So we would have used that power anyways, because we did not, again, we're not 100% offset. Maybe next time. Maybe Maybe someday time. soon. I know the guy that did mine is, is like, we could totally put some more ground-mounted panels out behind your house and, and get over 100%. And I've got um, a, a friend that, that did do ground-mounted panels, and they're pretty cool. I mean, he's got a big array, and he's he's over 100% production. So I want to ask you about disposal of these panels when we're finished with them. I know this is a concern that people have. What is going to happen to all these solar panels once their lifespan is over? Yeah, I hear that coming up a lot. I mean, there are metals that are part of a solar panel. I was talking about the sandwich of, of silicon that's in there. The metals that are, are there right now, I mean, you're going you're gonna to recycle them, right? We don't have a ton of that happening just yet. We will probably in 20, 30 years, you know, as the, the demand for panels, the use of panels goes up. Now, right now, there's not a ton of places to do the recycling of solar panels, but as the demand or as the, the use of these grows, the demand for companies to do recycling is going to increase. So I think it's one of those things that the market will, will provide a solution to it. And as I understand it, the challenge of recycling right now is due to that polymer that seals everything in to protect it from the weather, that you've got to have a really high temperature to be able to open it up and get to all those recyclable parts. Yeah, and it's, it's again, small films of, of the metals that are in there. I was reading about this again on the Department of Energy website, and I felt a huge sense of confidence that this is a solvable problem and that it's in process of being solved right now. Yeah, that's what I said. I think it's it's one of those things that the market is going to solve because there will be a need and someone will step up to fill that need. We have talked about this strictly from a residential perspective. Do you have any thoughts about arrays being used on huge pieces of land, like in a more holistic way to to power portions of the grid for everybody? Yeah, I think it's I think it's something that the country the world really ought to look at. I mean, you could take like a portion of land in Arizona, New Mexico, put a lot of panels out there. And I think it could do a, a lot of good on land that's not being used for much right now. Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, I think we ought to use more surfaces like roofs. I, I wish this weren't an individual project. I wish like the city of Union where we live would say, hey, we could pull a lot of power from the roofs of all of our government buildings, of businesses, of homes. Let's do some kind of project together where there, you know, the tax incentive is part of it, but there have to be other creative ways to, to kind of work together on that versus taking land that could be productive in other senses, I think, and covering in them in these panels. That's what I'm worried about. I mean, I was talking about land that's not productive, right? Yeah. I, I get what you're talking about, about building you know, commercial solar farms on farmland. Right. I don't like that. Well, what I don't like, I don't like the idea of the government controlling and doing that project, right? That's, I don't, I don't want bureaucracy tied up in this. I, I like some help and the idea of doing government buildings, absolutely. But I don't think I want them in the private sector part of it. Well, is there anything else that we haven't talked about on solar panels that you think people need to know if they are considering this? Do you think the price of the panels themselves will go down? I know we heard from someone who said they priced these four years ago and went back and the cost is higher today. But I don't know if that's the labor side or the actual hardware side. I think the the price and efficiency 
Uh, so efficiency is going up. New technologies are coming out. Even the the model that I got, there's a newer model that's a little bit better, which, you know. Does that bug you? Uh, a little bit. The panels are getting better. The cost, I think, overall is going down. But yeah, labor cost. It, when we looked, or when I looked, gosh, probably six or seven years ago, it, it was definitely cheaper last year. But we've had a lot of inflation since then and a lot of labor cost increase. So yeah, yeah. I can see that they're more now. And those metals are going to change too over time. Like the, the different components of the parts will probably drive some of that pricing. Yeah. And I mean, there could be a, a completely new technology that comes out that revolutionizes everything. We expect them to go for 20 years or so. Will the efficiency depreciate in that time period? Will we have less efficient panels at the end than we have today? You do. Yeah. They go down over time. Those go down over time. The batteries are going to have less capacity over time. So, you know. We don't live in an area, fortunately, where we have a lot of natural disasters. If we did and our solar panels were damaged by a hurricane, a tornado, something like that, would our insurance cover that? Yeah. I added, our homeowner's insurance? Yeah, I added them to our homeowner's insurance. It added, a, I think, 160 bucks or something a year to the cost of our insurance. But these panels are made to withstand heavy rain, heavy wind, hail. Like, they're, they're made to last. Florida, South Carolina, a lot of people have solar panels down there. And these things are made to withstand, like, 2,400 pascals of, of you know, wind. That's like 140 mile per hour wind. Are you glad that we did it? Would you do it again, knowing what you know now? Yeah. I, I mean, so far, so good. I think the 2,500 in the first year is kind of right on on pace with what we want to do to get the right payback. Again, we did the batteries, kind of a separate decision, but glad we did. The they, batteries added a tremendous amount of yeah, cost. The batteries were almost as much as the, the panels themselves. But again, that tax credit, made it really helpful. So it worked out financially from Chad's perspective, and they gave me that resiliency perspective. Like, I like knowing that the batteries are there and that if the power goes out, we aren't dependent just on what the sun is producing at that moment, but that we have charged up these batteries and, and can use them. And what we do, usually in the summer, well, most of the time, in the winter when we're thinking snow is going to come or ice and we could have some power outages, I switch it up a little bit, but we run off of solar during the day. And usually the first half of the day, the excess solar is charging those batteries up. And then at night, when the sun goes down, we run off of battery power at night. And we're usually, we're usually a hundred percent covered with that, you know, occasionally 95, 90, something like that. When the hot tub kicks on in the morning and wants to use a bunch of power. And so you're available to take questions about this if people have more questions. Yeah, I'll, I'll take questions. Um, and like I said, if you're in this area, I've I've talked to a couple people uh, and referred them um, to the company I worked with. And I, I I like them. I like them a lot. OK, well, if you have additional questions after all this, you can email us hello at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com and maybe just put for Chad in the subject line. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies. So we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. 
That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, a.k.a. problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Chad, we always end the show talking about something outside of politics. I feel like we've made a major shift in the way that we entertain over the past few years. When we first got married, we had a lot of parties and I cooked a a lot and we really worked to entertain inside our home. And now I feel like we have become more, you can just come over kind of people. We, we are mostly outside. When we first got married, I wouldn't let people bring anything when they came over. And now I'm like, bring whatever you want. <laughs> bring your own cooler if you want to. Bring a dish. I don't care what it looks like. So we've really shifted from entertaining to just opening our house to people. Well, opening our house, opening the outside. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's it's part of what we've done, right? We We bought the land behind the house. We've opened that up, cleared it out. Then in 2020 and 2021, we built the pool, and I'm still working on finishing the little pool house out there, a little shelter. Then the 2022 project was the solar panels we talked about. But we've tried to make the the outside space very appealing and fun. And it is, I think, a better way to make long-term connections with people, to have it be more like our space is your space, then we've invited you over for an event. I like that we aren't event-centric anymore, I think. Okay, that's that's big because you do like to control the outline and flow of an event. Well, I like things to be nice. I do. But it's relieved a lot of pressure for me to kind of release some of that, especially as we have kids and our lives are just busier. You know, I think that if we were still entertaining the way we were when we first got married, we probably wouldn't entertain as much in this chapter of our lives. And so this has been a way to say, just just come along and do this thing with us. Let's all have fun together. And I'm not going to stress out about how it goes. And I hope you're enjoying it more because, you know, I get a little peeved when you do. you're busy, 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 and you don't actually get to enjoy anything that is happening. You do get peeved about that. And I can feel your peevedness. Mm-hmm. And that also diminishes my enjoyment of things. Yeah. Yeah. And so we try to really plan a lot of events out out at the pool and otherwise with our friends and neighbors to the point where Chad laughs at me like, I'll have like calendar night. Like, let's sit down and plan our adult fun and get it all on the calendar right now. And Chad just rolls his eyes at me. But I feel like it's important. I mean, I feel like that's my way of saying this is important. Let's put it on the calendar so that we make sure that we do it. And I roll with it. With a little bit of annoyance. It's a little bit of annoyance. I just like to to be outside and to just enjoy, right? I've tried to do things out there. 
that that make it easy to just relax right we put the cool sound system around the pool i put another sound system in the backyard we have a fire pit and then we have you want, you want to tell the fire pit story? Well, so Chad, again, loves to be an earlier adopter of things, loves to have the coolest toys. And so he was really excited when the solo stoves came out that burn the fire so hot that it doesn't smoke. So he gets one of those solo stoves. And then later he gets a mini version of it. Now, we are not campers. I understand if you are a camper, how this would be a really useful thing. We are not campers. So it kind of became the kids fire. And recently, Chad comes to me and is like, you know, we have the big one and we have the little one. I just sometimes feel like maybe we need, and I was like, a medium one? Like, are we Goldilocks here? The just right size? So now we have more more fire pits around here. I don't think that's a fair characterization. You don't? What do you disagree with in that We have We have the big one that's on the patio. We have the big one. The big one that's on the patio. It's 30-inch diameter. Mm -hmm. It's too big to carry around. I would also like to have one out by the pool. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you think the little one's too small to be having by the pool? The little one. Okay. So the little one is like a six inch diameter. Maybe it's meant to be like a little camp stove. I got it because I got one for our neighbors as a gift and it was like, buy one, get one. So of course I got one. And yeah, I kind of meant it to, to be the kids. Like, Let's have a little fire pit for them to play and and feed. Roast marshmallows. And, and really, it was kind of like a I was Tom Sawyering them into picking up sticks in the backyard and burning them. <laughs> I gotcha. So the the medium sized one could be portable. Like if we went somewhere to an event where we needed a fire pit, <laughs> <laughs> various tailgating activities, okay. something like that. Okay. In a safe space. Mm-hmm. Where we don't burn things down. Um, but it could be out by the pool and then we could take it. Yeah. What do you think is the best thing that we have done to make entertaining at the pool easy? The shelter. Yeah. The covered area. I mean, I've got a building out there just meant to be like a covered pavilion, I guess you'd say. But then since we had to run power out there anyways, we ran water. So we put a bathroom out there. It's also about 100 feet from the house. So people start doing the calculus of, do I want to go all the way back to the house to use the bathroom? I think it was genius to put the bathroom out there. And that was my insistence because I knew we did not want people, wet people traipsing in and out of our house to go yep. to the bathroom. And also that people will just go in the pool if they don't that's what I, yeah, that's you know, what want to make saying. that journey. But the covered area is great. Get out of the shade or get into the shade. TV, I put again, a nice sound system around the pool. I mean, during the summer, I work out there. So it's just like a little little office. Yeah, we, bo- we both spend a lot of time out there and it's been wonderful. It feels like an investment in all of our relationships. It lets the girls have friends over and we, we can be the house where the friends come. You know, we can host events for church and for your academic team. And it's just really let us kind of give a gift, I think, to lots of people in our lives. And you know me from the technology side. I love I love the music the systems out there where you can just, you know, leave the house, walk through the yard, into the pools. You got music kind of the whole way. Really sets the mood. (laughs) Well, Chad, I appreciate you being on Pansy Politics with me today. Thank you. I'll be back Thursday, right? Yes. Chad has been joining me on Thursdays on our premium show, More to Say, to talk about sports, because that is something that I'm not going to talk about with Sarah very often. So it's been kind of fun. Awesome. So we'll see you there on Thursday if you join us on our premium show. If not, I will see you back here on Friday. We hope that you will share this conversation with someone in your life if you think they would benefit from it. And until Friday, have the best week available to you. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Maggie Penton is our community engagement manager. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Helen Handley. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis-Kasling. Barry Kaufman, Molly Kors, Catherine Vollmer, Lori Lodow, Lily McClure, Linda Daniel, Emily Neasley, The Hedgehog!
Wins. Tawny Peterson. Tracy Putoff. Sarah Ralph. Jeremy Sequoia. Katie Steigers. Karen True. Annika Uveline. Nick and Elisa Valelli. Amy Whited. Emily Helen Olson. Lee Shea McDonough. Morgan McHugh. Danny Osmond. Jen Ross. Sabrina Drago. Jeff Davis. Melinda Johnston. Michelle Wood. Joshua Allen. Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller.